Hey, good morning to all of you who are here in Chanhassen. Those that are online with us, glad that you're with us, as well as at Bush Lake and West Tonka. And I think about online especially because I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. And we have people in Michigan and Florida and Arizona and Colorado as hot zones. And just give you guys a shout out and wherever you might be tuning in, let us be one together. Hard to believe, but we are halfway through this series. If you're a first-time um, guest today, glad to have you with us. We're going through this book of Colossians, and today's the halfway mark of the eight weeks. And we have a theme verse for 2024, Colossians 3.17, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Let's recite it together. I hope you're memorizing it. It's our posture for the year, and we want to live out what we are learning. So Colossians 3.17, join me. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed... Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. What a great verse. Let it be your posture this year. Over the last few weeks, we've given these wristbands away, and one of them um, is the black band that has the first letter of each one of those words on it. And I had it on yesterday because we had our two granddaughters over, and uh, we were at a soccer game, and my seven-year-old granddaughter was sitting next to me, and I had the band, and we went through it, and she memorized that verse in five minutes. With the band on first, and then I took the band off, five minutes, and I go, oh, to be seven. <laughs> just the memory was just astonishing. You can do it. And it's a beautiful verse for this given year. And it's a verse that helps us step into um, the journey with Paul, who wrote this letter while he was in prison um, in Ephesus to this little church, two years old, in Colossae. And it's a church that he writes to them first to thank them because they're so alive in their faith. They're increasing the reputation of God everywhere they are. So he commends them for their Christ-likeness. And our 2024 goal is Christ-likeness. Our prayer for our church is that we will grow in Christ-likeness, that you will each take a step and grow your faith from where you are to a new place of Christ-likeness. That's the invitation, the challenge for the year. The second reason he writes, though, is to strengthen their faith, to warn them because they need to guard their heart. And we're turning the corner at this point in the letter from the commending of those qualities of Christ-likeness to a reminder to guard your hearts because two things were happening. Influences from the culture were seeping into the church, but as well, false teachers were stepping in and confusing people. And when that happens, I'm telling you, faith can deaden quickly. Um, joy can diminish very fast. And distance can separate us from our relationship with God and with self and even with others. And so Paul is concerned for them and he starts to warn them, strengthen your faith against these forces that are coming in. And I think in the Church of America, that's where we are. We have cultural influences and some teaching that isn't spot on right, that's created confusion. It's impacting churches so that they're not as alive as Christ envisioned us to be and he's calling us back into that given arena. I was reminded of it just recently, meeting with a Westwood a young dad who had asked for just a meeting over some things in his life. And we met together, and he said, um, he was a couple minutes late. I'm sorry, it was one of those mornings. He has an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And I'd say, all you young parents, God bless you. You have one of those mornings often, probably. He was responsible to get the kids off to school, and they weren't getting ready. They hadn't brushed their teeth. Their six-year-old son is playing Legos in another room. He can't get them going. And he says, quite honestly, Joel, my posture was not all that Christ-like. And I got exasperated. I said, come on, we've got to go. Let's get going. 
put away all of the Legos and let's go. So they go, he comes back into the room. None of the Legos have been put away and they're all on the floor and he has to pick them up. He's exasperated, but then he comes to the platform where the Legos are, where he's, the six-year-old's been building. I go, oh, the imagination of a six-year-old. He shows me the picture, here it is. These are stormtroopers, six years old. And I want you to take note, there's a table and the stormtroopers are gathered around the table eating pizza, <laughs> having fellowship so creative because good things happen around the table. You know why? God is a table God. And then there's this stormtrooper resting, laid down. He's in peace. And conversations happening between others. There's just a dynamic energy in the room. And then there's two soldiers guarding the place of this beautiful expression. And I go, that's a picture of real life. So he shows me the picture, and I'm thinking about Colossians. And this is exactly what Paul is speaking about. We have been given something absolutely beautiful together. God is a table God. He brings us around the table of his presence. And we have the peace of Christ because of that presence in us. But also, we are reminded to protect that which God gives to us from influences that would cause our faith not to be alive. When we teach leadership around here, we always anchor in around Proverbs 4.23, which says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the wellspring of life. And the word guard is a Hebrew word, and it's a military word that means soldiers, you know, guard, guard your heart, put soldiers around your heart because you're going to need them. Paul's writing this letter to remind them that the honeymoon is over, that you have to guard your heart to keep your faith alive. And that's exactly what he's teaching them in this given moment. So I've given the same title to every part of the series, a fill in the blank. I come alive when, in today's section, the latter part of chapter two, is I come alive when I choose Jesus. That is, when I guard my heart from the influences of other forces that would keep Jesus at bay rather than Jesus as center. Because we know what happens when we don't wake up with Jesus. So we confess that we don't always wake up with Jesus, but we do become vulnerable. If I choose today not to wake up with Jesus, it can quickly move into three days or three weeks or three months, and we just drift away and we lose interest. And we're no longer alive in our faith, but he's called us to be alive in our faith. We must choose Jesus. And we don't do it every day. I confess, I don't do it every day. I sure want to do it. You, I know, sorry to disappoint you, your pastor doesn't choose Jesus every morning as intentionally as he should, but I sure want to. And I've disciplined my life, so most times I do, and I quickly come back on to that path um, when I drifted. I can feel the drift in my own heart, as all of us can. So we find that Paul wades into this fullness of Christ that is ours by just reminding us of what we get to have in him. So let, let's open up the, the letter again. It's beginning at verse 6 of chapter 2. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him. Let's pause there. Continue to live your lives in him. Guard your heart from these influences so that you can continue to be alive in the Lord as, and look what he tethers it to, when you first received Jesus into your life. So when you first come to faith, something happens in you that's transformative and compelling. And he's saying, stay in touch, be tethered to that very experience to keep your faith alive throughout your journey. For me, all of a sudden I had an insatiable 
appetite for scripture. I, I'd never been familiar with scripture and I started reading it. I began to understand it. It was incredible. What was it for you when you first came to faith? It's one of those fuels that keeps your faith alive. And then he continues, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. You see three passive verbs here, rooted, built up, strengthened in faith as you were taught, strengthened. A passive verb, as you know, a verb is an action. A passive verb is an action that's dependent on another to see that it happen. And so he's calling us to stay rooted, to continue to be built up, to strengthen your faith, but you can't do it on your own. You must be dependent on one to help you stay rooted and built up. And who is that one? It's in him, rooted and built up in him, Jesus the Christ, strengthened in the faith as you were taught about Jesus. That we must stay in tune, choose Jesus in order to keep that faith alive in our journey. And then he wraps up so beautifully and overflowing with thankfulness. I told you that Paul throughout this whole letter is sprinkling in salt and peppering thankfulness. He's teaching them to be thankful, a people of gratitude, because gratitude Gratitude changes your demeanor, your disposition, the whole of your life, other people's lives. It's moving from thanksgiving to thanks living is what he calls us into. And I think you know this, that people are oftentimes um, the ones that God uses to help us see what it means to be um, rooted and to be built up and to be strengthened. He uses the spirit, obviously, he uses the word of God, the scriptures, that keeps us rooted and built up. But he often uses people, when we see the example of a person who's doing it, we're compelled. And we go, have you ever said this to someone? Man, I would love to have a faith like that person's faith. Because we see the example of it. I have many of those people in my life, and one of them is Pastor Ben Rosenbush on our team. He has help my faith stay alive. I'm so grateful to have him as a colleague, but as a friend, and uh, to serve together the purposes of God. And I want you to hear some of how he practically does what Paul calls us to, because he's impacted many of our staff and our church family in, a, in his teaching, but also he's at an inflection point in his life. And there's some transition ahead for Ben and Jackie and their children um, into their future, and I, I want you to hear that as well. So would you join me in welcome? Welcoming Pastor Ben Rosenbush. Come on up, Ben. Hey, brother. Uh, before we talk just about some of the practices that Paul has here, because you live them out so beautiful, uh, beautifully, you are an example around it. Um, you are at an inflection point, and you've had a GP, a God prompting, and related to a vision for your future that kind of is going to pull you away from vocational ministry here, but not from vocational ministry. So just first start there. Where are you going? What are you doing? Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. <laughs> yes, Joel, thanks for calling me up and uh, kindly doing so. And we are in a transition, yes, off staff, but there's a transitioning and a remaining. Let me just say that up front, because we are going to be a part of the Bush Lake community family. We're a part of Westwood. We believe in what's happening here, and we'll be rooted there. And uh, But transitioning, yes, off staff, we feel that God's called us to a bivocational ministry vision. And you've been a yeah. critical part of helping me discern that. Um, we own a business, a senior home care business. We're going to be doing that, but also to allow us to have time to develop this passion that we have for creative ministry. And so we're going to be doing that. I covet your prayers that we might stay faithful in that task, but we'll yeah. be with you as a family. 
Yeah, you have been here serving in creative capacities, creative pastor, creative arts for 12 years. I mean, it's, it's true. That's really a long it's crazy. time. crazy. You know, the average age, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The, the average years of service is four years in a church. So we're just blessed to have longevity with a lot of our staff. And just your touch and blessings have been so rich. But I want to bring us into what Paul, the example that we get to see more closely with you, I want, I want our church family to see too. And I think it's really interesting that Paul connects the continuing on in faith to how you first received what happened in that moment that helps you keep rooted for today. So what happened when you first received Christ and how does that keep you rooted in your faith today? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we grew up in a, in a context where Christ was cultivated. I mean, faith was around and it was demonstrated for me and my siblings and that was beautiful. But there is a difference between growing up in an atmosphere of faith and then choosing faith yeah. for yourself, right? And for me, that happened when I was about 14 years of age and I was experiencing a worship context where people are singing, giving their hearts to Jesus. And I was like, there's something here. And I felt the spirit drawing me close to him. And I felt loved. I felt known. And I've never stopped chasing that. There's been peaks and valleys, but he's been faithful yeah. to, as you draw close to God, he draws near to you. I think I can speak on behalf of all of our staff because we work so closely together. We spend a lot of hours together, but the rhythms of your spiritual disciplines and practices have strengthened all of us in terms of building up faith and strengthening faith. Just share a couple of them. Yeah, sure. And, and they've been really helpful too in discerning this GP, this God prompting and the spiritual disciplines, they're kind of like God is a faucet pouring and he wants to pour into our lives, but we have this empty cup and we just need to place it under that faucet sometimes. And the disciplines do that. They just place you before God. And one that's helped me so much is silence and solitude. Jackie's been wonderful to help me even uh, go on some silent retreats just to shut out the world a bit and just to listen to God. And it's been a fruitful time for me. And a counterpiece to that, though, is community. What are those voices in your life that God has placed where you can hear him? And Joel, you've been one of those for me. A mentor, a friend, a pastor to me, helping me discern the call of God in my life. Who are those people that you can call close that can speak into you? And also the Westwood community, just being rooted in a community in a faithful way to say, you know what? We're, we're coming and we're going to put our, put our cup under that faucet and just, God, would you pour into us and help us to pour out to others? One of the things you don't see behind the scenes is some of the um, substantive things that we bring into the worship experiences. Over the last decade, we've really raised um, the intentionality around gratitude and thankfulness, and that's come out of dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of hours of us speaking about the power of thankfulness and gratitude in a person's life. And you just are the ultimate example of that. So just share about how, I don't know if you are, at Jackie at home, is he that way every day? Almost. Jackie's with us. She here, might so. not be telling the whole truth, but I appreciate just, it. <laughs> how do you cultivate that, that spirit? You just bring a lift to the room because of your spirit of gratitude. I think gratitude is a wonderful thing to get addicted to <laughs> because gratitude puts you on the path of joy. Gratitude reveals abundance. Um, and when I get worried, when I get anxious, which I can from time to time, when I just stop and practice gratitude, it aligns me to who God is and I receive from him. And I do these three things and maybe you can practice them too. But I just, first of all, I'm just grateful that God has given me breath just a simple gift. Right now, I have a life, 
And God, you are the giver of that. Yeah. And I've given praise. Secondly, you can thank God for the people in your life. Go through and name them. Those people that have ministered to you in a profound way. Yeah. Be thankful for them. And then third, be thankful that you have that breath for a reason. That you are alive today because you are on mission, an ambassador for Christ. There's a purpose. And God, I thank you that you have made me for that. Help me discover that today. In a simple way, let me step toward it. So when I begin there, man, it's a different day. When I don't begin there, it's not as good of a day. Well, I think I can speak for everyone and say we just love you and Jackie, your family. Thank you so much for your faithful service. I, it's my uh, common practice to offer a prayer of thankfulness to those who have served so faithfully before they transition into a new journey. But Ben hijacked that for me as we were laying this out and said, no, I would really, if you don't mind, Joel, love to offer a prayer of thankfulness and blessing over our church family. I won't up to you. Yeah, he did. He's so other-centered that way. And I said, okay, I'll receive. So why don't you stand wherever you are and and just receive the blessing that Pastor Ben would like to offer over us at this time. I'll invite you just to extend your hands in an open posture to receive from God. Father, Son, Spirit, you are the giver of all good things. And I just pray a blessing on my Westwood family. I thank you for the years of ministry they have been in my life, my family's life. Thank you for all the things that have transpired in the goodness through them to me. I thank you for Pastor Joel and the ministry that he's been to me. Bless him, lead him, guide him. I pray for Pastor Clint as well. Lead him and guide him. I thank you for the brother he is. For all the staff at Westwood, God, bless them and lead them. May they be servants to your holy will as they set the table for your goodness. And I pray for the families of Westwood, God, that you'd be with them, that relationships would bloom and thrive and be ambassadors for you. I pray for everyone here, God, that they might feel the nearness of your presence and that that would be their good. I pray, God, that for the vision and the, and the passion that's in this body to be a ministry here, near, and far, to be those who love and live like Jesus, may that be true of us. May that be true of these people. And so, God, I just pray that you'd bless us to be a blessing in your holy name. And I pray for Pastor Joel as he continues the sermon from here because we're not quite done yet. In your name we pray, amen. 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 You may, will you just thank Ben and Jackie? Jackie's standing over here too. And they'll be available on our Chan campus in the common area. So thanks, Ben. Stop by and greet them on your way out when we close the service. He's also going to officiate the... Uh, communion with me at the end. So grateful that we have this kind of camaraderie together in Christ. And that's what Paul is looking for as he's inviting us to choose Jesus so that we would stay rooted, be built up, and strengthen our faith. And the rest of chapter two goes into some specifics about um, really reasons why you want to choose Jesus. I'm just going to touch on three of them at least briefly. First of all, it's because you belong to Jesus now. We're in a different place. You belong to Jesus now. Never forget that. And this is what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Let Christ be preeminent, priority, every day. 
Because there, every day, are forces at work, some spiritual that will seek to pull us away, and some are just human tradition. The way we grow up sometimes can pull us away from a life that is alive in Christ. I think about the, the composition of our church family today, because half of our church family come from a, a Roman Catholic background, and uh, another quarter come from Lutheran background. Now, part of that is we're in Minnesota. So that's a lot of the influence of Minnesota. And then you find sprinkling every kind of denominational orientation. But can I tell you, that is the work of the Holy Spirit that's been underway now for almost five decades. It's like the Holy Spirit came on in a jet stream into America's churches in the 1970s and 80s and said, enough of this. Because we had this tendency in our human traditions to put Christians in a box. Oh, you're a Catholic or a Lutheran. And then we have thoughts about that. Or you're a Baptist or Presbyterian. Oh, we have thoughts about that and sometimes words. Or you're one of those Pentecostals. Oh, we have thoughts about that. And we put words to it. Or you're an evangelical or a fundamentalist. We just have this tendency to put people into a box, even in our human traditions that keep us at bay and keeping our faith alive. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, enough. I don't care if you're a Catholic, a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, whatever you come from, I care that you love my son, Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to that he calls us to this place rather than on Jesus. We let the rather other things take the place of Jesus himself. And friends, we come to Jesus who is Christ. Christianity is Christ. It's not a religion. It's a person. It's a relationship. It's the magnanimous, beautiful son of God, Lord of lords, king of kings. You cannot put Jesus Christ in a box. Amen? Let's be together with Jesus Christ and good things will flow in our life and our journey. Yeah, wake up with Jesus because you belong to Jesus. You might take that Colossians 3.17 verse, write it, put it by your bed every morning. Just wake it up, wake up and let that be your verse. Let it, just reflect on it. It will change your every day because you belong to Jesus. But that's not all. He continues on and says, you are full of Jesus now. You don't just belong to him. You're full of Jesus now. He's reminding us not to forget that. Guard your hearts from a place that would compromise the fullness of Christ in you. Look what he says. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Not halfness, fullness. <laughs> the fullness of Christ is in you. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, we're also circumcised. Um, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the fullness of Christ is already in us. So what Paul is doing here is really quite remarkable. He's comparing the saving work of God in our lives with circumcision. That is, circumcision was the identity of the Hebrew, Hebrew people, that they were the children of God. But he is doing something new. This is not a physical mark any longer. It's a spiritual mark. That there's a circumcision that happens so that our sin-dominated lives are cut away from the deadness of our heart. 
and we are given a new heart. When we put faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us a new heart. We're a new creature when we put um, our lives in Jesus Christ, and he puts his fullness in us. So the application of it is so powerful. All the love that you need, when you feel like you're not loved, no, all the love that you need, you already have in Jesus who is in you. All the peace that you need, and the turbulent circumstances that surround us, maybe even in your own family, certainly in the world, you have all the peace you need. It's already in you in Christ Jesus. All the patience you need, you know, you just find yourself constantly agitated. All the patience you need, you already have Jesus and his fullness in you. It's learning how to live in the fullness of Christ. And that fullness is ours um, already. I'm so grateful that that it is. I was speaking um, last weekend at a mission conference on Saturday and Sunday, and so I didn't get to tune in with you in the morning, but I did later. I love online ministry, don't you? It, it really has become a place where I stay connected, and I worshiped with you in the afternoon last Sunday, and it was a baptism service. And here I am alone in a room watching the service move to my core over the testimonies of baptism. Circumcision was the physical mark if we have a physical mark, it's baptism that represents the spiritual mark that we belong to God as his children through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm hearing these stories of salvation and people being immersed underwater, coming up, dead from sin, alive in Christ. And I get tears in my eyes hearing the story because the fullness of Christ is in us. He changes us. Those addictive behaviors that we could not resist before, we have the fullness of Christ to give us a new heart and a new way. The loneliness that just comes over us at times, you know, loneliness is the primary epidemic in America right now. It's astonishing. Jesus becomes that companion, and the fullness is already there to close that gap. We can go on and on, but the fullness of Christ is there. That's why baptism is so important to God. It's not a ceremonial act. It's a point of identity. I belong to Jesus. I have the fullness of Christ in me. I have victory over death. I am alive in Jesus Christ. If you have not been baptized by immersion, we're going to have a baptism service during Easter on Easter Sunday. You can go to our website, check it out, get baptized. It'll be a marker in your life of what God has already done. And he doesn't stop there. We belong to him. We have the fullness of him. But he also reminds us of something so personal and so needed. You are forgiven in Jesus now. I did a message on forgiveness two years ago, and I gave everybody a little post-it, and I had you write on there, I am forgiven. I've got that taped on my computer monitor in my home office to remind me every day, I am forgiven. It's one of the greatest gifts you could ever have in life, and only Jesus Christ gives it to you. Look what we see. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. See, he wants us to be alive, friends. This year, let's move toward a place where our faith is more alive. Take that next step and grow your faith. He forgave us all our sins, not some of them. And already in your mind, you start ticking. How about that one? That was really bad. No, it's the, all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He took your sins, all of them, and nailed them to the cross in himself so that we would be able to stand before the Lord forgiven and reconciled. So this much I know. Most of us would say we know we're forgiven, but we don't live out our forgiveness very well. Most of us would say, I know I'm reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. But we struggle living out our reconciliation. 
And there's power in living it out. We have this little thing called guilt that hovers over us. And there are two primary guilts that we struggle with in life. One is a self-imposed guilt. And that happens when you say something or you do something and you know you have hurt someone with what you said or did. You have wronged them. You feel it. They feel it. And then post that wrong, there's this thing that hovers over you called guilt. And you start to go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And you can't go back and take it back the way you want to. And I've heard this way too many times. I just can't seem to forgive myself. Friends, you can't forgive yourself. What you're doing is an affront to God to not receive the forgiveness you've already received, to live in the forgiveness that is yours. So you've taken it upon yourself again. I can't seem to forgive myself. That isn't what he says at all. He's forgiven you. And then the person whom you've wronged, they remind you on occasion. I don't see anybody nudge anybody in the room. But, you know, remember that time? People become ledger people. I got this list. You did this. You said this on that day at this hour. I'm just reminding you. We do that. That's a ledger behavior. But you know the consequence of all of this when we don't live in our forgiveness is our faith gets deadened, our joy gets diminished, and distance is created. That's what human guilt does. That's self-imposed guilt. That's not what God has for us. He has, there is a spirit-imposed um, guilt. That is, God, through the Holy Spirit, does convict us when we say things and do things because He's not trying to keep us down, do you, you know, a stick in the mud. He wants us to be lifted up. He wants us to be set free. He wants us to be a people of freedom and joy, a faith that is alive. And so the Holy Spirit works in us when we say those things and we do those things and our heart gets softened. I go, I can't believe I said that and did it. And now I move toward a place where I want to confess it and say, I'm so sorry for what I said and did. That's the power of Jesus. And hopefully the person says, I forgive you for what you said and did. Because then the consequence is we can move forward. But can I remind you, it takes one person to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. So you can live out your forgiveness by saying, I'm so sorry, and be free. It's more powerful when they say, I forgive you, and you can move into the future. That's what the Lord has for us in this. So live out our forgiveness. Live out our reconciliation, personally and collectively. And collectively is as important as the personal dimension of it. And over the last few years, we've been dealing with um, this canopy phrase I call the CPR season, um, COVID, politics, and race that disrupted our country so much. And out of that, and with George Floyd's murder, which happened in our own backyard, came an opportunity that has been seized by black churches and white churches. I'm one of the older pastors in the Twin Cities now. I hate to own, I hate to own that, but I am. I am the old guy. And, uh, and yet I accept it because I've got a role, and I've stepped into that role to say what would happen. For 43 years, I've been in ministry, and we've joined the black church for prayer events, for um, Billy Graham crusades, but honestly, we have never linked arms, I don't think, in the history of the Twin Cities. And over the last few years, we are linking arms. Can I tell you, God is on the move. There are several jet streams of movements. One of them is called Churches United. We're among that eight churches, four black, four white, who are coming together. We have three one-and-a-half-day retreats this year. We've done two of them. We have one coming up in April. But I'm telling you, God is on the move. We just finished one a couple weeks ago. Put a little video together for you to see what God is doing. And I pray you have a heart full of gratitude for God's goodness in this movement. Take a look.
me in thanking God for a reconciling power that has worked in and through his church. Let's live out our reconciliation, friends. There's an opportunity coming up. The Lilly Foundation has given a beautiful grant to help us with cultural agility, and it's going to go all around the Twin Cities, and I want to put it up. It's called All Things, All People, All Possible. Westwood is the trailblazing opportunity to join in on that. It's limited to 50 people. If you have interest, go to our website and be part of it. But boy, choose Jesus, would you? Because we belong to him. We're full of him. And he forgives us all of our sin. And that's why we come to this table. So I invite you just to receive this prayer and open your heart and come to this table. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus who came and took care of that sin problem that kept us so far from you and reconciled us to you through that blood shed on the cross, granting us the gift of the Spirit to the end that we would be a people made new. We have new hearts, new appetites. And Lord, if there be anybody here who has not come to this table with a faith that's alive, renew it today. May we all say yes to the bread, to the cup, to remember your coming, your dying, your rising again, that we would be made alive in you today and always, we pray in Jesus' name.